Beautiful song of praise this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to the Gospel of Luke uh, with me this morning, please? We're in Luke chapter 5, having taken a bit of a respite away from the Gospel of Luke for our study uh, of the Reformation. We return this morning to Luke's Gospel chapter 5. And this morning, we find Jesus at the Sea of Galilee. Many of his disciples, many of his followers were fishermen. And so we would often find Jesus around the seashore there. Much of their life revolved around the sea and fishing and things of that nature. I'm not a fisherman. I I don't enjoy fishing very much. It's it's hot. Well, that's enough for me. It's hot. That's all I need, really. Um, It's hot. uh, it, It stinks. Um, I don't enjoy cleaning fish. I don't, I don't enjoy eating fish. And so I'm not really a, a fisherman within this. Even uh, just one of the other reasons that I'm not much of a fisherman in North Carolina, we lived close to the coast. And one of our deacons there had a boat. And uh, the only kind of fishing that I've ever really enjoyed has been deep sea fishing. Now, I have enjoyed that greatly. That was a lot of fun. Fish would really fight with you at that. And so I did enjoy that. Um, uh, so he had a boat and he said, hey, why don't we go out fishing one day? Sure, I'd love to. Let's go. So everything is planned. We get up before life begins. Uh, and so we, we drive out there and uh, get in the boat and he's going to catch some bait fish for us. And so he has this net that he throws and it has weights all the way around it. You, if you've been out there, you've seen something like this. And he'll take the net and masterfully he throws the net out. It will begin to sink. He pulls it in and some of the little fish there get trapped in the net. That's going to be our bait. And so he throws the net out, pulls it up, nothing happens. And I think, oh, this is probably not a good indicator of the day we're going to have here. But he, he gets everything ready and he's going to throw it out again. And he comes around and he casts this net out again. And you know those little balls that are weights on the end of those things? They hurt like the devil when you get hit with them. I know. Because one of those weights, when he let go, I saw it. It left his hand and it came right towards me. And pow, right in the temple. And I'm sitting there and I'm seeing stars. Are you okay? Are you okay, Pastor? And I said, man, I've had deacons try to get rid of me before, but never like this. This is absurd. So another reason that I'm I'm not a fisherman. In Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus with some fishermen. We see some fishermen doing what they know how to do. But somehow Jesus knows how to do it better. I wanna, I wanna, before we read the text this morning, I want to give you a question. And I want you to hold this question in your mind as we read the text and then as we make our way through these first 11 verses of Luke chapter 5. Here is the question that I want you to consider this morning. What if anything has happened to me in this matter of becoming a disciple of Jesus? What has happened to me in this matter of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ? In fact, would that even, would that even describe your life? A committed follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple. That's what disciple means. A disciple is one who follows. And so, what are you following? Who are you following? What's happened to me in this matter of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ? 
Let's look at the text this morning. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we we toiled all night, took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The challenge to each of us that we experience is that we are tempted to think of our following of Jesus as just one department of our lives, aren't we? That we think of our religious life, that we think of our Christian walk as just one area of our lives. I am a fisherman here, and I'm a follower of Christ here. I'm a banker here, I'm a follower of Christ here. I'm a school teacher here, I'm a follower of Christ here. And we try to compartmentalize our lives, much like we do on our phones. We have all of these apps on our phones, don't we? And so we have this app on our phone and, and we, have this, we have this Jesus, this, this God, this spiritual app within our lives. And we will open up this app, perhaps when we come to church, when we get together to Christian gathering, when we especially need it, we will open up this app in our lives and then when we're done, we can close it down and we can go to other things. We can close down the app of Jesus in our lives and we'll go to the app of banking in our lives. We'll we'll go to the app of entertainment. We'll go to the app of sports. And we'll, we'll keep all of these things separated. And we'll close down the app of religion, the app of spirituality, the app of of God, the app of Jesus within our lives so that we can get on to the things that really matter to us. That's kind of how we look at these things. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus radically challenges that in our lives. He radically challenges that we can shut down the area of our walk with Him in order to move into another arena of life without Him affecting it. That can't happen. It's impossible if we're a follower of Christ for that to happen. This morning as we look at Luke chapter 5, I want us to place it in the context of where it is that we find it. Remember, we've been out of Luke for a while, and so I want to remind you where we left off in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, especially in verse 18, look at verse 18, and let me remind you of what it is that Jesus is doing. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, we find Jesus in the synagogue. 
And while he's there in the synagogue, he is preaching. And this is the substance of his message. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He reads this passage from Isaiah to those in the synagogue. And in verse 20 of Luke 4 we read, And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the immediate context of what we find in Luke chapter 5. We find in Luke chapter 4, Jesus proclaiming the prophecy of Isaiah that the Messiah is coming, the Redeemer is coming, the Rescuer is coming, and this is what he will do. And Jesus says, I am that one. And then in Luke chapter 5, really what happens in the rest of Luke's gospel is an extrapolation of this central truth. Today, this is fulfilled in your sight. Today, this is fulfilled before your very eyes. Chapters 4 through 6, especially of Luke's gospel, Luke provides a dramatic series of unfolding stories which reinforce this essential fact about Jesus. Today, this scripture is fulfilled. We see Jesus gripping the minds of his followers. We see Jesus healing the sick. We see Jesus banishing their demons. We see Jesus cleansing their hearts and saving their souls. We see Jesus calling them to utmost allegiance in life. That's the context of where we find Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke says that Jesus is there at the lake of Gennesaret Luke is the only one, by the way, that refers to it as a lake. All of the others refer to it as the sea. It's the sea with which we're familiar if we've been in church uh, for any length of time. It's the Sea of Galilee. And so much of what happened in Jesus' life took place around the Sea of Galilee. All the other gospel writers refer to it as the sea. Luke refers to it as the lake. We use different terminology for it. But here they are around the Sea of Galilee. When you look at these opening three verses and setting the context for all of this, look at the verbs in these verses. The verbs, is that's that's where you find the story. That's where the drama unfolds. That's where the action takes place. We, We see the crowds pressing in. We we read standing to, to hear washing the nets, that Jesus sat, that He taught. We see this in action. We see this not as some dead, cold, sterile event. No, this is a historical encounter in the life of Jesus. No longer is He in the formal structure of the synagogue where He was in chapter 4. No, now He's out in the open air. He's out among the people, many of whom perhaps would not even come to the synagogue. Notice here in verse 1 what it was that the crowd was pressing in on Jesus for. We need to take note of this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on on Him, why were they doing that? To hear the Word of God. They were pressing in on Him to hear the Word of God given to them. That's what preachers are supposed to do. 
to give the Word of God. And that's what listeners are supposed to hear, to hear the Word of God. Church, listen, accept no substitute for the Word of God ever. Never accept any substitute for the open, clear Word of God. It's not about telling stories. It's not about entertainment. It's the Word of God that we desperately need. I want to assure you of this. I want to make a promise to you of this. It is the aim of every single one of your pastors, whoever it may be who is preaching on that particular day, that you hear the Word of God. That's all we've got. Any of us and all of us. And your response as listeners to that ought to be to press in to hear the Word of God. It's that important. It's that important that we preach the Word of God and that you hear the Word of God. It is that important. Press in, listen in to hear what God might say to you. Because understand, the authority of the preacher is the authority of God's Word. We have no authority on our own. We have only the authority of God's Word delivered to us and to you. Here the crowd was so great, pressing in on Jesus. They were pushing Him into the sea. Can you imagine that? We don't know how many people were there. Luke doesn't bother to tell us. None of the other gospel writers bother to tell us how many people were there. It'd be hard to get an idea, I suppose. But we know that there, there surely must have been hundreds of them. And they're just gathering around, and as the crowd grows larger, there's, there's murmuring back here, there's mumbling back here, the shuffling of feet, and so people are scooting in closer to hear what Jesus might have to say to them. As the crowd grows bigger and bigger, they move more and more towards Him until finally Jesus is standing there, and the, 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 the waves of the sea, the waves of the lake are brushing up against His heel. So he gets into a boat. Not that he might get away from the crowd, not that he might stop giving to them the Word of God. No, he gets into a boat so that they might be able to hear the Word of God. Jesus gets out into this boat and he uses the water and the very, uh, the very uh, 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 geography around him to work as an amplifier of his voice because it's that important that they hear the Word of God. While he is there in the boat teaching them, he, he gives a command. This is interesting. You read about the command beginning in verse 4. We, we read it a moment ago. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus gives a command to Peter. Do you understand how much of an offense this command from Jesus is? I want you to. I want you to understand how offensive this command from Jesus is. You say, what's the big deal? He says, come on, Simon, let's go out and go fishing. What's the big deal? Well, as, as one person has said, and I quote, as long as Simon's boat is being used for a pulpit, the owner has no objection to Jesus saying what he likes. But when it reverts to being a fishing boat, it is Simon's once more, and Jesus no longer has a say in how it is to be used. That's the offense. Jesus, the carpenter, telling Simon, the fisherman, how to do his job. Really? It, it, it would be like me gaining an audience with Stephen Curry 
and saying, listen, Steph, I've been watching you on television. I think I could really enhance your basketball game if you would just listen to me. Number one, I got nothing to say to Steph Curry because I know nothing about basketball and how to play it. Stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason often, and I certainly fulfill that one. You understand how offensive that would be to someone like Steph Curry? Who do you think you are? You don't play basketball. If you even had to run down the court halfway one time, you'd get winded. Don't tell me how to play basketball. And yet here is Jesus, carpenter. But don't we have a tendency to do that in our own lives? Do we have a tendency to do that ourselves? Jesus, listen, you don't know about closing business deals, Jesus. That's my arena. Hey, listen, Jesus, you don't understand how to lead a classroom. Hey, Jesus, listen, you don't understand about this. You don't understand about that. Jesus, you've got Sunday school. You've got men's ministry. You've got women's ministry. You've got the children's ministry and the student ministry. But you don't know about this. Just, again, like those different acts that we have within our lives. We'll bring the religious one up when we need it. But when we step out of that, we'll shut it down so that we can go over to our business area, so that we can go over to our sports area, so that we can go into whatever er other area it is. But Jesus looks at Simon and he says, Simon, go out into the deep and let down your nets. Now, those of you who are fishermen, and I know we've got some in here, God bless you. Enjoy that. You understand that Jesus is, is telling them to go to the wrong place? If you're in a lake, you don't go out to the deep to fish, do you? I've learned a couple of things. You kind of stay closer to the shore, don't you? Where are they going to hide? Let's, let's find where the trees have fallen over against the shoreline there. It's the wrong time. When do you go fishing? You don't go in the height of the noonday sun, do you? Maybe that's why I don't like it. Maybe I went at the wrong time. I don't know. Maybe you go in the morning. And what does Simon do at this ridiculous command? At least it's a ridiculous command to us. What does Simon do with this? Look at how he answers. Master, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Hey, Jesus, listen, I just want you to know. I know how to fish. We did this all night long, and we've not caught a thing. In other words, Jesus, when I go out and do this, I want you to know I told you so. It's on you, not me. Yeah. But Peter doesn't stop there. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing but. Oh, what a great word that is. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Friends, that's Christian discipleship. 
That's the key to it all. This has failure written all over it. We're going to go out in the deep. We're going to, we're going to go out in the, the middle of the noonday sun. This has failure written all over it. But Jesus, because you said do it, I'll do it. Doesn't make sense? I don't understand it, but I'll do it. The only thing that Simon had to go on was the word of Christ. That's it. And he's willing to go on. What do you have to go on about heaven? You've got nothing but the word of Christ. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to myself that where I am, there you will be also. What do you have to go on about forgiveness? You have nothing but the word of Christ. who says that if you will come to me in repentance and confession, I will forgive, and I'll make you new and whole. See, the beginning and the ending of Christian living is simply looking at the apparent contradiction of it and still taking Christ at his word. Still saying, okay. It doesn't appear to make sense. And see, this is what we've done in the church for so many decades now. We've tried to make it make sense. We've tried to remove the contradictions. You can't. I'll explain further. Jesus' command to Peter involves some very practical things, by the way. We, we read here that the fishermen were here at the shore and they were, they were taking care of their nets. They, they had to be cleaned. The nets had to be mended. They had to be repaired of any problems within them. And so this is going on and now Jesus says, let's go right back out. But Jesus, we just came in. We've just got them cleaned. Because we're going back out tonight. If we go out now, when we come back, we're going to have to clean them again. And Jesus, we've got to sleep at some time. Not only that, but can you imagine what's going on in the back of, of Simon's mind? I mean, let's, let's just be honest and put ourselves in this situation. Simon, the fisherman, comes back one day with nothing. Now, I, I, I know that, that fishermen have a stereotypical reputation as well. That they caught a fish this big, right? You, you've seen that? Yeah. Let me tell you about the one that got away. But most fishermen I know, if they go fishing, they don't come back and tell you, well, I caught nothing. They don't do that. But yet everybody has been listening to Jesus and they've seen Simon come back with nothing. Now he's going to have to live down the shame of that, but now he's going to go out again Come back with nothing, he figures. This demanded the involvement of other people. It wasn't just Simon that was going to be involved in this. It was going to be his partners that were with him. We read about the second boat coming in later. We know the end of the story, and that is, that's just, uh, it, it's almost a disservice to us to know the end of the story when we approach things like this. We can't look at it with fresh eyes and think, how's this going to end? What's going to happen here? Try to do that this morning. We know that his partners were involved in this, in his obedience to the commands of Christ. And friends, listen, when Jesus calls you to obedience, it's going to involve others. It's going to involve your, your wife. It's going to involve your husband. It's going to involve your kids. It's going to involve your church. When, when we respond in obedience to the call and command of Christ, it will involve others. There's an inconvenience in all of it. Can you imagine how exhausted these guys were? They've been out doing this all night. You take the exhaustion and you add the frustration of empty nets 
And cleaning those nets that were empty just compounds the frustration. Mending those, why are you broken nets? You didn't do anything. And the frustration is compounded. Can you imagine the inconvenience in all of this? And the people on the shore watching, maybe that were lingering after Jesus finished teaching. What is Peter doing? I mean, any fisherman worth his salt knows you don't go out now and you don't go out where he's going. And everything that was fisherman in Simon had to be saying, this is crazy. It's it's interesting to me that the area in which Simon knows the most and the area where he is most in control, he is suddenly taken out of his comfort zone by Jesus. I look at this and I think to myself, why is so much of my life lived in the shallow water? I mean, we look at verse 5 and can we, just, can we just be honest with each other for a minute? Well, let me just, let me just make me this, okay? I'll, just, I'll say this for me. You're probably much more righteous and spiritual than I am. Verse 5, in in my response to Jesus, when he calls for such a move like this in my life, I usually only respond like Peter did in the first part of his reply about why I shouldn't do this. Master, uh, listen, uh, we've been doing this all night. We got nothing. But that's usually where I stop. I leave out the but of all of it. But if you say so, I'll do it. Is that you this morning, I wonder, as well? That maybe you come, you, you park your car, you come in, you, you enjoy the time together with others, it's nice to be around, then you go back to the car, and on your way home, or when you get home, or when you get to lunch, you open up the apps that you really need to be involved in. All of which, by the way, will be an incredible irrelevancy in heaven where we will spend eternity. This is a miracle in Simon's own area of expertise. He knows fishing, and this just doesn't happen. Move with me thirdly. We see the context of it. We see the command of it. Move with me thirdly, verse 8, to the confession of it. But when Simon Peter saw it, What what did he see? He saw the the fish coming into the nets. They're reeling them in so that the nets are nearly broken. The boats are nearly sunk. He calls for his co-workers to come and help. Both of the boats are nearly sunk. This has to be the greatest catch that, that he has ever had in his life. He doesn't look to the shoreline for approval. He he doesn't look for the opportunity to make much of himself. Look what I did. We we even have a tendency to do that, even in our obedience to Christ. Look at what I did in my obedience to Jesus. It's almost like we throw Jesus in as a tagline, as a subplot. Peter doesn't do that. Look, Look at his response. Look at his confession. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He falls at Jesus' feet. Fisherman, answer me this. 
if this had been your catch. Two boatloads of fish. What would you want to do? Hey, somebody got their camera? I want everybody to see this. I mean, if it was us, let's, let's throw this on Facebook. Let's put this out on Instagram. Let's Snapchat this thing. Let's let everybody see what I did and what happened. That's what we want to do. It's not just fishermen that do that. We all do that. But Simon realizes something is going on that he can't explain. He had gotten just an inkling of it with his mother-in-law. You remember earlier, Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law so that she had been uh, down with a horrible fever. Jesus brings healing and she's up cooking now. He had seen a little bit of it as people were being healed by Jesus, but, but the nickel just hadn't dropped for him. It just hadn't dropped for him. And I'm afraid that's like some of you this morning. You're inching ever so closely to a radical commitment to Jesus Christ. Just step back. And now into Simon's own area of expertise. Jesus commands, he puts his finger on that area and he says, Simon, I am Lord over this as well. Don't ever forget. I'm Lord over this just as much as I'm Lord over your salvation and the grace that you receive. I am Lord over every area of it. And Simon falls at his feet. Very common experience when you're confronted with the holiness of who our God is. Abraham cried out, I'm nothing but dust and ashes. Isaiah cried out, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Job said, I despise myself. John, in the book of Revelation, we read that he fell as though he were a dead man at the feet of Jesus. That's the response. That's the response when we are confronted with the holiness, the righteousness of Christ. It undoes us. The ground beneath our feet trembles because we're in the presence of holiness. Depart from me, he says. I'm a sinful man. Notice that Jesus didn't say anything to Simon about that. He didn't say, Simon, let's go out. I'm going to show you how to catch fish because you're really bad at it, but you can't help it because you're a sinner. And, Jesus, and, and Simon, I want to tell you how sinful you are. No, he didn't have to explain any of it. Simon is confronted with the holiness and the majesty and the power of Jesus. He realizes he is something I altogether am not. But notice Jesus' response to, to Simon, verse 10. Jesus doesn't come along and say, oh, now Simon, listen, don't be so hard on yourself. Come on, Simon, you, you've got to believe in yourself, Simon. No, Jesus doesn't do any of that. Simon was absolutely right in his estimation of himself. So he, he says to him, don't, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. He doesn't contradict Simon's estimation of himself. In other words, he's coming along and says, Simon, you're absolutely right, but Simon, don't push me away. I'm the very one you need to be close to. Don't say, depart from me. I'm the one you need to be close to because I'm the only hope you've got, Simon. 
Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. That, that from now on, Christianity is the story of from now on. From now on, our lives lived for Christ are stories of from now on. The grace of God changes us, remakes us, forgives us, so that from now on, every app in our lives is an app from now on, because it all belongs to Jesus. Every business deal from now on is guided by Christ. Every relationship from now on is guided by Christ. Every sporting event from now on is guided by Christ. And all of this from now on is under the domain of Jesus. And it leads us to the final verse, verse 11, where we see the commitment of Simon. When they had brought their boats on land, they left everything and followed him. Whoa. Are you serious? Yeah. What's the basis of this kind of commitment? It's the promise of Jesus. Jesus said, from now on, you're going to be catching men. What's the nature of the commitment? It's a commitment to Christ himself. Who do they follow? They follow Jesus. And isn't it so possible for us to miss this? So that tomorrow we go out on another Monday morning and what am I supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be following Jesus. Follow Jesus? Is, is, is that all? Well, no. You're, you're still going to sell stuff. You're still going to teach. You're, you're still going to be a builder. You're, you're still going to be a businessman. You're still going to be a homemaker. You're still going to crunch numbers. You're still going to do whatever it is the blank is. But in the doing of all of it, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do this for him. Surely Simon must have thought of this when the day of Pentecost comes in the book of Acts. Peter, again, preaches the word of God and 3,000 come to faith in Christ. Peter must have been thinking, oh, this must be the fish thing Jesus was talking about. Now I see. Church, how do we catch men and women? How do we catch men and women? Think about this for just a moment. How do we catch... Men and women. It's really simple. It's not nearly as difficult as we make it. We catch men and women with the word of God. It's what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. That's what Jesus is preaching here around the sea. You catch men and women with the word of God. And you let God work in people's hearts in the power of his word and his spirit. They are caught with the word of God. We don't have anything else to offer them. We have nothing else to offer them. Do you notice the extent of their commitment? They left everything. Everything is now in relationship to Jesus. You know what's interesting? They didn't quit fishing. Isn't that interesting? Simon still went fishing. 
In fact, after the resurrection, we find Simon out fishing, and Jesus shows up, and he says to them, Hey, put your net on the other side of the boat. Seriously? I imagine that's the way the conversation went in the boat. Who does this guy think he is? We're fishermen. Let's do it. They haul in a haul of fish. And Simon's got to be thinking, he did it again. And the Bible tells us that he jumps into the water and he swims to shore to see Jesus. You see, the everything now was in relationship to Jesus. He still went fishing. You're still going to go to your job tomorrow. You're still going to do the same thing you've done. You're still going to go to school tomorrow. But will you do it as a disciple of Jesus? <laughs> to say, you know what, I'm willing to leave everything to follow Christ. Whatever others might say about me, whatever they might think about me, regardless of how inconsistent and contradictory it looks, I'm willing to leave everything to follow Christ. Regardless of the inconvenience of it, to leave everything follow Christ that's the adventure of discipleship friends. it's a journey that begins we know where it will one day eventually end but we don't know the road map from point A to point B it's such a great adventure to follow Christ Lord and Master just makes sense to me after everything that he's done, why would we not want to? Why would we say to the one who loves us enough to die so that we do not have to spend eternity in hell but can be forgiven for, can be changed, can be made new? Why would we not want to Beyond that, when we fail to follow him, why would we not want to come back to him? You see, Simon, for all that he got right, oftentimes got a lot of things wrong. He failed. He sinned. We can relate because we do it too, right? But he always came back to Christ part of the adventure of discipleship to realize when I step away from him I fail when I stay close to him I'm forgiven I'm covered in grace I'm strengthened by his spirit and presence we need to be on this adventure of discipleship together and we need to say, I'm willing to leave everything. These fishermen left the biggest catch they had ever gotten to follow Jesus. Are we willing to have that same level of commitment to the Christ who saves us, who changes us, who is a miracle worker 
of transformation. Father, this morning we thank you again for your grace. We look at Jesus and we are overwhelmed at his power and his majesty. To see such a miracle as this, it it, it stirs something in our hearts, Father. But I pray, Father, that you would not allow it simply to stir something in our hearts without stirring our lives to live in humble submission and surrender to you. That's what we pray today, Father. That we would respond like Simon, I'm a sinful man. And then we would quickly look and see that we have a wonderfully gracious, forgiving sinner. And that we would run to him. That we would be held tightly by him. Turning our back on that sin. And embracing Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning as we stand, we sing together, just to give you an opportunity to respond in some way. Maybe, maybe you'd like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. We'd love to begin that conversation with you. Maybe you'd like to know what it means to be a member of this church. We would love to begin that conversation with you. If you'd like to come, just meet me here. We'll start that process. Let's sing together. And as the Lord leads you, come.